Well, it's my great privilege this morning to introduce to you Dave and Agnes Hearn. And we're so glad that you guys could come and share what God has put on your heart. You know, um, as we see our nation becoming more and more pagan and uh, step further and further away from God, I believe that God has put, as the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, his man to call the church into a new place, a place of Christ-centeredness, a place of being filled with power from the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry in a place where we are called to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And I believe that God has called you for such a time as this. Come and let us know about it. So I love hugging Bill Butendorf because... Uh, I live by this axiom, hug a tall guy a day, it keeps the chiropractor away. So this is good. And I think my back feels much better. Thanks, Bill. It really is a joy for Agnes and I to be here. We love this church family. And the multicultural flavor is absolutely delightful. Uh, whenever I'm here in Eastgate, I feel like I've entered into a, a taste of glory. Amen. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation gathered around the throne praising God. And I know there are interpreters throughout the building. A moment of silence for them, please. Yeah, they'll be busy today. So <laughs> may God just bless you and bless the congregations that are listening around this building today. I arrived early this morning and did a prayer walk around your facility. What a beautiful place God's given you here. And this is what I prayed for you as a congregation. I prayed that the incredible love of God the Father would fall fresh on you today. That if any of you have entered into this room and you're feeling fearful or, or maybe anxious or maybe there's chaos going on in your life, that somehow in these moments we spend together, you'd, you'd feel this delightful rain of the Father's love just coming over your entire being and you would know in this holy moment, shalom, peace in those places of your soul. And then I prayed that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would sweep over this congregation like a mighty wave. Can I declare over you today, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen? Like, this is really good news, folks. Not only has your sin been forgiven, but hallelujah, your shame has been taken away. I declare in Jesus' name that you are free today. Free today. And then, Bill, I got really excited. And uh, if I'd had better shoes, I think I'd have run the last lap around your church. But I prayed, Holy Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us today? That, friends, every place you put your foot, demons would have to flee in Jesus' name. Because they would recognize that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. Pause. That is a staggering statement. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. So, Eastgate congregations, I dare you in Jesus' name, you be fearless today. May God fill you with holy boldness. Because there is a massive shaking going around the globe right now. People groups that have never been accessible to the name of Jesus are now for the first time in human history accessible. The church in North America must be ignited at its core. Oh God, bring fresh holy fire upon your churches to stir us to the core of our being. Because friends, business as usual isn't going to make it today. Amen? Because business as usual always ends up being usual business. 
That's not what God has called us to. I believe God has called us to a moment in human history where he wants to revive his church yet again and inspire us with the power of the Holy Spirit to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach the nations of the world. So come, breath. Come from the four winds and enter into those who are slain that they might live. And hallelujah, the breath came to East Gates. The breath of God entered in. And we stood to our feet, a fearless and vast army on the move, advancing the kingdom of God into enemy territory and reclaiming men and women in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Oh, Father, breathe on us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I began a ministry over 30 years ago, and I began as really a youth pastor in a place called Oshawa, Ontario. And one of my very first assignments was looking after junior high boys in a junior high boys Bible camp. Now, junior high boys are very interesting creatures, are they not? You never quite know what you're going to get. The particular camp I was leading, the boys were not overly interested in spiritual things. In fact, they were fairly lethargic, they were fairly bored, and so as we were coming to the end of the camp, I had what I thought was a brilliant idea. I was in charge of the closing campfire, and I decided that I would tell the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. But before the boys arrived, we put all of the logs in the fire pit, and we covered them in gasoline. And then we put a wire on one of those logs and it went up into a tree where we hid one of our youth workers and on that wire was a toilet paper roll also doused in gasoline. This is how it was going to go. I was going to tell the riveting story of Elijah confronting the 450 prophets of Baal and when we would come to that climactic moment, the boys would look up in the sky, they'd see a spark, oh no, they'd see a flame. The flame would come down, hit the fire pit, there would be a mammoth explosion, and junior high boys would give their hearts to Jesus. I thought it was a brilliant strategy. (laughs) By the way, do not try this at home. Everything was arranged. The boys were filled with anticipation, flashlights in front of their faces as they gathered around the fire pit. And as I began to tell the riveting story, I got a little long-winded, and all of the gas in the fire pit actually evaporated. And so when we came to that climactic moment, the boys looked up in the sky. They saw a spark. No, they saw a flame. The flame came down, hit the fire pit, and immediately went out. (laughs) One of the junior high boys from the back of the group yelled out in a loud voice, Great story, but where's the fire? (laughs) I've never forgotten that. Because, friends, as I go around and speak in a lot of different venues, sometimes I actually find myself asking the same question. Great facility, but where's the fire? Amazing worship, but where is the fire? Incredible preaching, but where is the fire? The palpable presence of the living and resurrected Christ that transforms fear-filled disciples into faith-filled revolutionaries for the kingdom of God. I am a man on a mission, unapologetically so. To call the Christian Missionary Alliance back to its roots as a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, hallelujah, mission-focused movement. At the very essence of this movement, we were a fire-filled people. Simpson, the founder of our movement, said, When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can no longer live for yourself. You actually want to give your life away in service and sacrifice the same way that Jesus gave his life away. 
if we are going to put a death nail in consumerism that is gutting the heart and soul out of the church of North America, it will be through the unapologetic proclamation of the deeper life. Amen? It's as we die to ourselves that we really know what life is. It's as we surrender ourselves and say, Spirit of the living God, come and fill us. That we know that power of God that transforms us from the inside out. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. Amen. This is the truth. The reality is that many of you may be here today trying to live your Christian life in your own strength and by your own power. And you are utterly defeated. You are absolutely demoralized. You are completely discouraged today. I am so glad you're here. Because here is the good news. You will never Live the Christian life in your own strength and by your own power. Amen? It's never through trying harder. It's through radical abandon. It's through trusting Jesus. It's through coming to that place where at the end of yourself you say, I am desperate for you. And allowing the Spirit of God to fill you to overflowing. A.B. Simpson said it this way. He said, I thought I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But he said, I wasn't filled to overflowing. I wasn't filled to overwhelming. He said, it's like I had a, a little bit of the ocean in a bottle, but God wanted to put the bottle into the ocean. And I wonder if in this season in our movement, if God isn't saying to us, you've tasted of me, but there's so much more I want to give you. Could it be that God wants to expand the capacity of our soul to receive more of his goodness, more of his glory, more of his power for such a time as this? Oh, Eastgate family, let's go into the ocean together. Amen? Let's go into the fullness, the overwhelming presence of God that transforms us from the inside out. Because I am convinced of this, that without the power and without the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, we can do nothing. Our churches in Canada do not need better strategies they do not need more effective methods. They do not even need a more compelling vision. What our churches in Canada are desperate for is men and women full of the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the heart of it. That's what our neighbors are longing for. That's what our children are longing for. That's what our grandchildren are longing for. Grandparents, moms and dads who are full of the Holy Spirit and fire. John said it this way. That he, Jesus, will ignite the kingdom of God within you. Isn't that powerful? Will ignite the kingdom of God within you. A fire within you. The Holy Spirit within you. Transforming you from the inside out. Fred Hartley says this. That God promises to saturate our submerge us in the Holy Spirit and in fire. He wants every area of our lives, every cell of our body, dripping with his presence and fully under his influence. Simpson said this, that the message that has been given to the Christian Missionary Alliance is a message that is steeped in the Holy Spirit. A message that calls men and women to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit without exaggeration, without fanaticism, without unscriptionalness of any kind. All that power can be and yet with a sound mind. I tell my daughters, if I ever get a tattoo, that'll be the one. All that power can be and yet with a sound mind. Because Simpson knew to the core of his being that mission without holy fire would only lead to humanitarianism. We would do a lot of good things, but nobody's life would be changed for eternity. He also knew this, that holy fire without mission would simply lead to fanaticism. It would just get a little weird. 
But here's the profound truth. That holy fire coupled together with mission leads to revolution. And if there was ever a time for revolution in the church, it is now. But I'm going to be very honest with you today. I think many in our movement have actually become afraid of our own theology. We're so afraid of wildfire. We're so afraid of false fire that we've actually accepted no fire in our churches and and treated that as normal. Can I be so daring today as to say, I still believe in something known as holy fire. Amen? We cannot be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We can't. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll never accomplish the mission that God has called us to do. When Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Immediately, he looked at his disciples. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Because he knew without the power of the Holy Spirit, they would never accomplish the mission. And here's the good news. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will have us exalt Jesus. It doesn't get better than that. Amen? This is radically good news. So here is my message in a nutshell for you today. That God is calling us into a fire-filled encounter of Christ-revealing, heart-reviving, sin-defeating, and hallelujah, boldness-producing Holy Spirit power. In the Old Testament... When God would come down upon Mount Sinai, it says that the mountain was covered with smoke because God would come upon the mountain in fire. In Acts chapter 2, as the disciples are gathered together, 120 of them in the upper room, they've been told by Jesus, go to Jerusalem to wait there until you are endued with power from on high. And as they are gathered together in that upper room, don't you wish you were there? All of a sudden. The room fills with a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And there above every one of their heads appears a tongue of fire. Can I tell you what that is? That is a mini Mount Sinai. God who'd come down upon Mount Sinai with fire and with power. Now, hallelujah, was coming down upon individual people. This is radical. This is profound theology. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the staggering moment of Pentecost when the very presence and power of God comes and anoints ordinary people like you and me so that we can do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. So what does that look like? Follow me to Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. As we get a, a ground level picture of what it looks like to be men and women full of the Holy Spirit and fire. First of all, I want to suggest this, that when the holy fire of God comes, God's supernatural power is unleashed. It's three in the afternoon. Peter and John are going up to the temple as was their usual custom for prayer. They go through the gate beautiful and they encounter a man. He's 40 years old. He's been crippled since birth. Now, immediately I ask the question, how many times did they walk by that same man? How many times have they seen them in their daily routine? What is different today? What is different is that Peter and John are men full of the Holy Spirit and fire. And friends, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, you see everything in your world differently. Amen? You can't shop normally anymore. You can't go to school normally anymore. You can't go to work normally anymore because your eyes are attuned to the supernatural power of God and you're asking the question, God, where do you want to display your supernatural power today? Wouldn't it be so cool to live that way? 
to be so aware of the presence of God that wherever you go, you bring his presence with you and it absolutely changes the atmosphere forever. Peter looks at the man and says, look at me. That's a daring statement. Now the man looks at him, and I don't know about you, but if you're begging for the very sustenance of life and someone who looks like they have a little bit of money asks you to look at them, you're thinking Lotto 649. This is going to be a great day. He has no idea how good it's going to get. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And all of a sudden this man, whose legs for 40 years have been anemic and lifeless, they surge with life. Those muscles come together. And I love the way the Bible presents it. He doesn't gradually stand to his feet. The Bible says he jumps to his feet. He leaps to his feet. And he begins to leap and praise and adore God. This is a supernatural act of God's holy power on display. Do you, Eastgate Church family, still believe in the supernatural power of God? Last time I read the Bible, it tells me Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never ceased being a supernatural God. And the heart and soul of the Christian Missionary Alliance is a preeminent belief in supernatural things and in a supernatural God. So I want to do something here this morning. I'm going to dare to declare war on the mood of non-expectation in this church. When we show up, we ought to say, okay, God, who's getting healed today? (laughs) Whose marriage is going to be restored today? Whose kids are going to come home today? Who's going to be filled with the Spirit today? Who's going to be delivered from demonic depression today? God is on the move. Amen, church? Then why would we not come with that expectation? Why would we not come with eyes to see the supernatural power of God unleashed? I was preaching in one of our churches And a woman came in that morning and she was paralyzed on her right side. And she had a crutch and it was very awkward for her to find a place to sit. And as I was preaching, I got to that point in the message where I said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And God instantly healed her right in the congregation. She knew she was healed, but she thought she better test it out. So as I'm preaching, I watch her as she goes to the back of the church. And this is what I'm seeing as I'm preaching. Right? Right? And then she starts running. Like this, and I go, I go, I've seen some weird worship stuff, but this was really unique. And all of a sudden, at the end of the service, I gave an altar call. She was the first one to come forward. And I remember she was kneeling at the front, and then she stood up and walked away, and she left her crutch at the front. And so being the sensitive pastor that I am, I I grabbed her crutch and I went over and I said, I'm sorry, but you left this at the altar. And I'll never forget, as her face beamed with life, she said, Exactly. She said, God healed me today. And I'll never forget, as her and her husband left the church that day, he had the crutch over his shoulder like this profound trophy to the supernatural power of God. I long for the day when that's normative in our Alliance churches. I got a call from one of our pastors. The first words out of his mouth were, there's been an outbreak of healing in our church. I thought this is going to be a great conversation. He said, David, we're a small ethnic congregation, and our elders were studying the book of James chapter 5, and we realized we'd never had a healing service in our church. And so one of the elders said, well, why don't we do that next week? And another elder said, well, well, what kind of oil should we use? And a, a third elder said, well, Costco's got good oil. We'll buy oil from Costco. 
they buy four liters of cooking oil from Costco. The pastor preaches on healing and invites the church to come forward, and everybody comes forward. And one of the elders drags four liters of cooking oil to the front of the church, and as they anointed and prayed, God healed everyone in the church. I've never, ever seen this before. People who had chronic illnesses were completely set free. It's documented. People with aches and pains were delivered instantly. One woman who had a skin disease, they watched as God reformatted the skin in her arms and her legs. I stood in front of this woman, and I remember with tears streaming down her face, she was going, it's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Friends, I know God doesn't heal in every situation. And I know that it's not about the healing, it's about the healer. I, I, I know it's, it, it's about that which brings glory to God. I understand all of that theologically. But in the Christian and missionary alliance, I think we give up too soon. And unless God says he's not going to heal us, then we keep coming, we keep asking, we keep praying, we keep seeking, we keep hoping, we keep trusting, because our God is a supernatural God. Amen? Those of us in this room who have prodigal children, children who are not following Jesus, I dare you, do not give up. Those with damaged marriages, do not give up. Our God will not be mocked. Our God is a healer. Our God is a savior. Our God is a restorer. Our God is without limit. Hallelujah. He's uncontainable. I was preaching and one of my friends sent me a text. He said this. He said, I've suffered from scoliosis since I had polio when I was seven. I've been prayed for for over a hundred times, I think. The pain lately has been debilitating. Last night, faith welled up in me again as you were speaking. So I came forward. I asked God to send somebody to pray for my back. Some guy I didn't even know walked up to me and said, God told me to pray for your back. Isn't that great? And then he said these words. This morning I woke up without back pain for the first time. In 18 years. When the holy fire of God comes, the supernatural power of God is unleashed. But second, when the holy fire of God comes, our hearts get revived. A crowd begins to gather. In fact, they come running to a place called Solomon's Colonnade. They've seen this man over the years. Now he's, he's jumping, he's worshiping, he's absolutely healed. Nobody can deny this is a supernatural act of God. And so as the crowd gathers... Peter thinks this would be a good time to preach. Bill, this would be a good time to preach. Amen? Notice what he says. Fellow Israelites, why do you stare at us? Why are you so surprised? Uh, do you think somehow it is our godliness or our power that healed this man? And then hear what they say. It is the God of Abraham. It is the God of Isaac. It is the God of Jacob. It is the God of our fathers that has demonstrated his glory and his favor for his servant Jesus. If there ever needed to be music in the New Testament, that would be it. Ba-boom. It's a great moment. And then notice he gets to the heart of his message. And I got to tell you, when the holy fire of God falls, your preaching gets really weighty. He's in Jerusalem where Jesus has been crucified. This is the heart of his message. You killed the author of life. That's bold preaching. But God has raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of that fact. Repent then. Turn to God that he may wipe away your sins and that times of refreshing would come from the Lord. Is that not what you long for in Eastgate? 
that there would be gloriously outpouring of God's refreshing. But friends, God's refreshing always comes after a time of repentance. Always. Moody said it this way. Before we ask God to fill us, maybe we need to ask God to empty us. Yeah. I have a good friend of mine who's been a bachelor for years, and you'll know why he's been a bachelor, because he's, he's one of the messiest housekeepers you can imagine. There are times when he doesn't wash his dishes for over three weeks. Get that image in your mind. He said one day he was in his apartment, and he was reading a magazine, and some friends dropped in for a surprise visit. And he recognized by the time he let them into his apartment, till the time they actually got to his apartment door, he had 60 seconds to clean up his kitchen. So he ran into his kitchen, took all of his dirty pots and pans, stuffed them inside his oven, wiped the counters clean so his his kitchen looked absolutely pristine. He went and opened the door, and his friend said, we've got a pizza, but it's cold. Where's your oven? (laughs) He said, the most humiliating moment of my life was pulling out all of my dirty dishes in front of my friends. Congregations of Eastgate, what's in your oven today? so easy for us to become people who promote the image and yet there is secret debris in our soul and friends i want to declare over the christian missionary lines and over this churches this is a secret free zone amen no secrets because secrets breed shame and shame robs us of our spiritual authority it makes us anemic in our souls and if there's one thing i want to proclaim over the christian missionary lines that our god is a god that forgives so do not live any longer in the secret places of your soul the best oven cleaner i know is the holy spirit of god and so i just want to break shame today Can I be so audacious as to speak over you right now in Jesus' name? I break the power of shame in this congregation. No more secrets. No more hidden stuff of the soul. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And know the freedom that only he can provide. There's been a revival that's broken out in Cuba. 20 of our alliance pastors had the audacious dream that if they could get people praying every hour of every day for revival to come to the island nation of Cuba, that God would act. Agnes and I were there when 450 pastors representing 50 different congregations and denominations gathered together for their first prayer conference actually sanctioned by a communist government. An unbelievable moment. And as we were there... God met them with his holy fire. And the first order of business was repentance. Because none of these denominational leaders had got along. They had slandered each other. They had hated each other. They had competed with each other. And now in this holy moment, as the Spirit of God fell, they began to repent. And as an act of repentance, they spontaneously started to wash one another's feet. It was beautiful. The Baptists were washing the Pentecostals' feet. The Pentecostals were washing the Baptists' feet. The Alliance, completely confused, we washed everybody's feet. It was glorious. (laughs) And in that holy moment of repentance, we were there, you guys. In that holy moment of repentance, they stood to their feet with one united voice and began to proclaim over and over again, Christ for Cuba, Cuba for the nations. Christ for Cuba, Cuba for the nations. And the Cubans are preparing to send out their first missionaries. They're going to send them to the Arab nations of the world, the hardest to reach peoples of the world.
And I say this, that if 20 ordinary pastors with a vision to see revival can actually see a whole island nation revolutionized by the power of God so that the church is united, that they're ready to send out their first missionaries, then maybe God can still bring revival to Canada. Amen? Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe today, in the nuance of the power of the Spirit, He wants to spark something in you that is uncontainable and that is unstoppable. Because when the holy fire of God falls, the supernatural power of God is unleashed. And when the holy fire of God falls, our hearts get revived. And I'll conclude with this. When the holy fire of God falls, our mission to the nations becomes revitalized. As we go into chapter 4, not everybody's really thrilled about this revival that's broken out in Jerusalem. In fact, three arch enemies, the Sadducees, the priests, and the temple guards, they hate each other. But now they've discovered an enemy that's far greater than each other. It's the fact that Peter and John are preaching Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So they throw them in jail. They get all of the theological heavyweights to come together. They bring Peter and John out of jail the next day. And this is the question they ask. In what name and by what power was this man healed? This is a great question. Notice what it says in the text. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, Rulers and elders of Israel, if we are being called into account for an act of kindness shown to a lame man, and if you are asking us how it is that he has been healed, then you and all of Israel know this. It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Music again. Ba-boom. We sang about it because Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. But hallelujah, he's now become the cornerstone. For salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mankind whereby you must be saved. Oh, this is good news. This is the news the nations of the world need to hear. This is the good news of God's redemptive power that he breaks darkness and he brings you out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Wow. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and recognized these were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. Bill, if they ever write an article about your church, would it not be cool if the article was simply entitled, They Must Be Hanging Out With Jesus? Wouldn't it be great that the only explanation for what's happening at Eastgate, the only explanation for your love, your power, your grace, your authority, your incredible vision to reach the nations is that you must be hanging out with Jesus. That's the only explanation. Well, the big problem for the religious leaders is the guy who was healed won't go home. And so they're faced with a very difficult dilemma. And so they basically go to Peter and John. They anemically scold them and say, you can no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter looks at them and says, you need to make a judgment call of whether we should obey you or whether we should obey God. And I love this next phrase, but we cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen and we have heard. We will know the revival has come to Canada. When every coffee shop where there is a Christian, the topic of conversation will not be politics. Amen? Will not be the economy. 
will not even be the sports teams. The conversation will be Jesus because Christians can't help it. And our friends will say, are you going to talk about Jesus? Yes, I can't help it. The things that I am seeing, the things that I am hearing, the things that I am experiencing, they are so full in my life, I can't help but talk about Jesus. Friends, that's the heart of revival. That's the heart of revival. And when Peter and John go back to the church that's been praying, the church now is faced with persecution for the first time in its existence. And notice what they pray. They say, oh Lord, consider their threats. These are real. Consider their threats, but enable your servants to speak your word with even greater boldness. Isn't that great? Stretch forth your hand and heal. If I was to speak a word, a prophetic word over you today, I'd say, Oh, Jesus, stretch forth your hand and heal in Eastgate. Perform signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the place in which they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. I'm still longing for that day when I'll be preaching and the entire church will get filled with the Holy Spirit at once. Wouldn't that be cool? Absolutely amazing. For what purpose? Do not miss this. It's for the purpose of proclamation that they may speak the word of God with boldness. Never separate the fullness of the Spirit from the mission to reach the nations. So I conclude with this. The very strategies that Satan uses to defeat the church actually become the very thing that fuels the church. My mom's 89 years old. She just came to live with us. Several years ago, she was living in her ground-level condo in a place called Abbotsford. Now, my mom talks to her friend Phyllis on the phone. Phyllis is deaf and my mom is deaf. Can you imagine that conversation? They're yelling at each other every day on the phone. So mom is yelling at Phyllis. Phyllis is yelling at my mom. And a young man high on drugs breaks in to my mom's ground level apartment. Goes by the room where she's yelling at Phyllis. Goes into her bedroom. Steals all of her money. All of her jewelry and her car keys. Goes into the underground parking. Finds my mom's car. Drives it through the big iron gate in the underground parking. There is a huge crash. Everybody in the condo hears it except my mother. The police are called. Within 30 minutes, they get the thief. They catch him. They get my mom's money back, her jewelry back, and her car back. My mother does not even know she's been robbed. So when Constable Frank shows up at the door, my mom just realizes something's wrong. And he goes, it's okay, Mrs. Hearn. You've been robbed. But, but we've got your car back. We've got your jewelry back. And here's your $35. And my mom goes, but I only had $25. And the police officer said, you keep it, dear. You keep it. Fast forward several months. My mom finds out the young man is going to plead guilty, be sentenced to jail time. And so she phones me and says, David, I want to go to that sentencing hearing. I said, Mom, why do you want to go? She said, I want that young man to know that I forgive him and that I'm praying for him. So we arrived at the, the right place, right date. And uh, we're on one side of the courtroom is my mom, my middle daughter, and me. And on the other side is the young man's mother. And while we're waiting for the judge to come, in comes the young man's lawyer. I immediately recognize him. He's a personal friend of mine. He's a part-time pastor, part-time lawyer. How that works out in the economy of God, I'm really not sure. But he's really good at both. He said, David, what are you doing here? And I said, it looks like your client robbed my mother. He goes, oh, no. What's your mother doing here? And I said, my mother is here because she wants your client to know she forgives him and that she's praying for him. 
Judge comes in, all rise. Young man comes in with kind of a glass enclosure. And, and uh, immediately, uh, Daryl goes to the podium and says, Your Honor, I'd, I'd like to ask for a special privilege. And it was granted. He said, I want to introduce you to the victim. Her name is Mrs. Hearn. He said, I've been a lawyer for years. And whenever the, the victim is in the courtroom, they usually want to make sure the perpetrator gets the full extent of the law. But he said, Mrs. Hearn is here for a different reason. She wants my client to know that she forgives him and that she's praying for him. That judge went to Daryl Schultz after the court case was over. And this is an actual provincial court judge in Canada said these words. He said, I hate people of faith. They make my job so difficult. Isn't that great? That is a powerful word. He turns to the young man. I've never seen this in the courtroom. He turned to the young man and said, you stand to your feet. Today in this courtroom, you've been offered a moment of mercy because of Mrs. Hearn. I'm only going to sentence you to half the amount of time I originally was because of her. Now, what do you need to say to her? This 21-year-old kid looks at my mom, and I can still remember, he goes, I'm really sorry. And my mother jumps to her feet and goes, it's all right, you're forgiven. It was such a powerful moment. Court is dismissed. My mother goes over and embraces a young man's mother and says, I'm going to pray for your boy. For the next eight years, she prayed for him every day. And last year, I got an email from the, uh, the lawyer. who said, Dave, you know that young man that robbed your mother? He's become a believer. And he's going to get baptized. Is there any way that your mom could come to his baptism? She was a little too frail to come to his baptism. But if you go to the next picture on the slide, there he is. That's Clark, the guy who robbed my mom. And that's his mother in the corner. Now, go to the next slide. This is so cool. This is what the lawyer said. He said, it was the most amazing baptism my wife and I have ever experienced. Clark brought 10 of his unsafe friends. Most surprising of it all was his mother was not only there, but had seen the change in Clark, started attending church, and became a Christian five weeks ago. She got baptized too, so I included the pictures of her baptism as well. They gave their testimonies. It was a blessed event. Thanks so much to your mom for the role she played in Clark's life. He thought it was really cool that I would be sending her pictures of his baptism. A month after this, I got a hold of Clark. I was out visiting my mom, and I said, Clark, could you come and say hi to my mom? And so go to the next slide. Here's Clark and my mom. This is the very place of the crime. This is where he robbed her. Like, this shouldn't happen, folks. So for three hours, he tells us this incredible story of how he's in jail, and a Christian comes and shares Jesus with him, and he He just surrenders his life to Jesus. He said, I went through the one-step program. God delivered me from alcohol, drugs, and pornography in an instant. Filled me with his Holy Spirit. We were sobbing. I couldn't believe it. We were sobbing as we were hearing this story. And then it was so cute. He said, but Mrs. Hearn, I robbed a few more houses since yours. (laughs) And he said, I still have to go back and do some more jail time. And then he said these profound words. But he said, I don't go back as a prisoner anymore. I go back as a preacher. My mother says, if you're going back as a preacher, then you better be commissioned. That's what she's doing. Hear my mother, in the name of the Father, she says, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. I commission you, Clark, into the ministry that God has called you. And I ask that your Holy Spirit fill you with fire. That wherever you go, you will preach God's word with boldness and with power in the mighty name of Jesus. My mom's a fireball. And friends, when the place of the crime becomes the place of commissioning, you know that holy fire has come. That's us. That's us. 
When the holy fire comes, the supernatural power of God is unleashed. When the holy fire comes, our hearts get revived. When the holy fire comes, our mission to the nations, even to the Clarks, gets revitalized.